Welcome to the Colorful Clipboard, where we discuss the building blocks of making dough in childcare. I'm Kate. And I'm Carrie. Welcome back to Colorful Clipboard. And today we are going to actually talk about something that um, Carrie and I have very different opinions on. And <laughs> um, because it is national, is it National Barefoot Day? National Barefoot Day is June 1st. Which, okay, theoretically is today. <laughs> So you may be listening to this after our release date, but according to our release date today is Go Barefoot Day. And so the reason I was joking with Carrie when we were brainstorming topics that we thought you guys might find interesting is um, we do have a very different opinion. And Carrie has grew up in Texas and grew up with pretty much never wearing shoes anywhere. I wore flip-flops occasionally. And I wore flip-flops or sandals to school unless it was gym day. (laughs) And the only time I went barefooted was when I was at the pool. So um, so we thought we would talk about it. We would talk about it from um, a couple of different perspectives. And so, Carrie, why don't you go ahead and start us with the the children perspective all the way down. Let's start with our teeny tiniest children. Okay. And, and give me some 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 reasons for shoes, not shoes. No maybe shoes. Maybe even dispel a myth or two. No shoes in the baby room. No shoes for the adults. No shoes for the children. No shoes. No shoes for you. It's like no soup for you. Except I'm the. Yeah, sh- no, I got it. I was. I'm the shoe there Nazi the instead of the soup Nazi. Um, so no shoes for the adults um, because we track so much dirt and junk on our shoes. And that's not a problem in the older classrooms, but in the infant classroom, the babies are crawling around and they're putting their toys where you just put your muddy shoe and then they're putting it in their mouth. So I am a huge fan of having booties at the door for the infant parents or having a bench outside the room for the infant room for people to take their shoes off before they come into the infant room. Um, I had all my infant teachers have shoes that were just for in the classroom, just for in the center. They could wear them in the hallways or to go to the bathroom if they had to. (laughs) But I preferred if they'd even change to go to the bathroom. But I didn't have complete control. We have to let our staff have some autonomy. (laughs) (laughs) They could have two pairs of of house shoes. Yeah. And some of the, yeah, some of the staff chose house shoes, but it has to be closed-toed house shoes that have a heel covering because OSHA requires that anybody who works in an environment where they have to lift and carry anything over 20 pounds have toe protection and shoes that are secure on the heel. So you can't have those slip-on house slippers that make the flip-flap sound. You have to have the isotoner type of... (laughs) Um, sandals, house shoes, if you're going to wear house shoes. And other people chose to have like a pair of Keds that they kept in the infant room. Some sort of slip-on sneakers or very simple, um, flexible, sold shoes. Um, Because the other reason that I want the adults to not have, you know, cowboy boots in the infant room or, you know, running shoes in the infant room is that you can't feel when you step on something very small, which is very helpful when you are running on a hike and bike trail It is very bad in the infant room because everything is very small, including children's hands and feet. And so a teacher might inadvertently step on a hand or a foot. And if they're in hard-soled shoes, 
or thick-soled shoes, they may not feel it. And so they put all of their pressure down and then they end up, you know, causing a baby to cry because they have temporary pain. But if they're wearing Keds or another, um, I did a lot of um, the crepe-soled shoes from the Oriental um, grocery store. Those worked really well in my infant room. Well, good. So, and the, but, so as we start looking past just the crawling stage baby, is there some developmental reasons why we would not want, I mean, I'm thinking the Buster Browns from when we were the, we were kids and I've even seen some babies wearing them. Um, thoughts help us understand. And especially how as a director, would you help your teachers communicate perhaps with parents related to so shoe wear for beginning walkers so for beginning walkers they should be in socks with no slip um little things on the bottom of their socks or they should be in uh soft soled shoes like they can be in moccasins or those buster browns were not horrible because they were a soft soled shoe so the kids could feel they did not have a rigid bottom um but the Air Jordans for babies are horrible <laughs> because they have a thick, rigid sole and the kids can't feel the ground. And so, you know, podiatrists um, recommend that the children have no nothing other than socks or moccasins because the children need to have awareness of the different mm, textures underneath their feet so that they can control those little muscles and tiny bones in their feet. And if they're walking around in Air Jordans, they can't do that and they fall over much more often when they're wearing those thick, rigid-soled shoes because they step on a rattle and it completely unbalances them because they can't make adjustments to the bones and muscles in their feet. Where if they were walking in socks or moccasins or something like that, they can curve their foot around that rattle and continue walking. So they have much less in the way of falling, head injuries, etc. if they're wearing those types of shoes. And it helps their foot okay. development. Absolutely. So but what hap- what else can it do for a teacher and even a parent if they're having the opportunity to watch their kids um, walking barefooted or with very minimal shoes, what are some things that they might notice um, maybe earlier if they're looking at their, their walking patterns? Well, so <laughs> we're children of the 70s. And in the 70s, doctors were super concerned about being pigeon-toed or duck-footed. <laughs> um, and so a lot of kids from our generation were put into leg braces when we were infants and toddlers so that it could correct our gait. Um, and you're going to notice those types of things uh, if they're in the appropriate shoes and then you can help to correct it or you can um, refer them to the, their pediatrician to get help with it. But most of the time, it's just a, a matter of them not having enough strength in certain muscles. And so you just have to help them strengthen those muscles. Was that what you were going for? Or was there something else? Well, I know that we've talked that as kids get older, if you start to look at their walking patterns, you can actually identify some potential neurological concerns. Yep. Um, and so sometimes I assume that, at least in my experience, you can see some of that when they're uh, maybe not at the beginning walking stage. So I guess we're kind of in the wrong ages and stages to talk so much about that. So in um, toddlers, you can definitely, um, you might see signs of um, sensory integration problems. Um 
or um yeah that the, the muscle musculature is not developing properly and things so, like that so if you're a so if you're a, t- a teacher or a director and you've noticed this in a uh, student in your program, what would be a word of advice that you might, and it doesn't have to be your whole spiel, because I'm pretty sure we've done that. <laughs> if not, we should. Um, how do you have that conversation? What is something that you say? How would you say that to a parent that wouldn't scare them, but perhaps encourage them to get an evaluation? So my typical go-to on any type of um Noticing any behavior or development that is outside of the middle part Anytime I notice something outside the main part of the bell curve, whether it's that a child is um, developing very rapidly in an area or they're having some challenges like we've been talking about with the the foot, um, I generally say, you know, I noticed this thing and it's a little outside of what we normally see. So what I'd love to do is have someone come in and rule out that there's anything, uh, any problem with your child's development. And by saying, I want them to rule out any problem, they are much more willing to have a screening to make sure that their child is fine than to have a screening to find out that their child is not fine. Because it doesn't matter what the parent's background is, no parent wants to hear that their child is uh, having some developmental issues in any area. And sometimes parents are not interested in hearing that their child is gifted and talented in gross motor skills. Because they're like, oh my God, (laughs) I am never gonna get to rest. (laughs) Um, so, um, you know, they might be a little bit more excited to find out that their child seems to have, you know, great numeracy skills than great gross motor skills, but we're talking about walking here and shoes. So we're looking at, you know, your child is really climbing way more than we see the average eight month old. The average eight month old cannot climb out of a crib and then climb up onto a window seat. So I really want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to support them in their gross motor development. So I just want to have somebody come in and do an evaluation to make sure that we're doing everything we can to support your child's development. Okay. So I heard you say that, and I have a question with that. How does that work? In other words, who pays for that? Um, are there free programs for that? And do you open that up to everybody? What does that look like if you're a director? So, I mean, the answer is it depends as to who pays for it. Typically, um, if you're seeing a developmental, significant developmental abnormality, again, they're really gifted or they're really challenged. Um, You can make a referral to Early Childhood Intervention Services. You can Google it. It's a 1-800 number and they will connect you with someone who will come out and do an evaluation for that child for free. The parent just has to say yes and they can do the evaluation at your center or at the parent's home or another place of your parent's choosing, your client's choosing. Um, If, however, they say, no, I think we're good. I think it's perfectly normal that my 18-month-old doesn't have the muscle tone to sit up, much less crawl. Um, So no, I don't want to have an assessment. But you feel that you need to have the assessment for your teachers to be able to do their job. Then you as the center director or owner can pay to have a classroom evaluation done. So they're evaluating everything in the classroom, including that child. And then they're giving the feedback to your center, to the teachers and to the director director about developmental needs they saw in the classroom and what can be changed to better accommodate 
those developmental needs. But the parents shouldn't have to pay out of pocket unless they don't want to use the ECI service and they instead choose to use their pediatrician and some screener that their pediatrician recommends. Great. Okay, so we've talked about, um, you know, it is National Barefoot Day. And so, you know, and we love our national days. So we've talked about why absolutely you should be barefooted in the infant classroom. Where are some other classrooms, other places where within a child care program, uh, the kids can be and, and, and encouraged to be barefooted? Uh, as well as where are some places where that is not necessarily the case? Okay, so this is Kate throwing me a softball because she has seen me get really bent out of shape on this one. So Kate is a always wear your shoes, always, 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 even during nap time, you should wear your shoes. Am I, am I overselling that Kate? No. Okay. <laughs> um, to me, it's as much, uh, you know, some of it comes with, um, you know, the whole time, how much time it takes to put the shoes back on. Um, so I wouldn't say, uh, yeah. Okay. So yes, I like shoes. <laughs> Kate wears her shoes around her own house. She doesn't even go barefoot most of the time in her house. So um, we are being very clear with our biases here. I was raised by hippies. Kate was not. (laughs) (laughs) So I had one of my centers was very much a hippy dippy school. And believe it or not, Kate had her child at that school. I still don't understand why we put you at that school instead of one of the others. But it was close. It was closest. (laughs) Okay, but it's two blocks from the next closest. But anyway. Yeah, Matthew liked that playground. He did. Um, So at that school, we did not require shoes in any of the classrooms. Um, Our parking lot was not asphalt. It was um, just uh, caliche. So even if you were evacuating in the middle of the summer uh, for a fire drill or something, they were going to be walking on sidewalk or walking on caliche. So it wasn't going to be super hot. And if the kids were kids who were barefoot kids, they weren't going to have any problem with either of those surfaces. And I did have a licensing rep who told me I could not do that. And I said, I would be happy to make that change in my policy. Please show me where that is in Texas minimum standards. And she said, I will email you. And she never did. And there, the word foot does not appear in Texas licensing standards. There is nothing in minimum standards that says you need to wear shoes. But it does see, say that you need to keep the kids safe. So if you would have to evacuate onto a hot asphalt parking lot in the middle of August, I'm probably not going to let those kids be barefoot because their feet will burn if they're not all already acclimatized to wear to being barefoot on asphalt. I, as a kid, could have walked and did walk barefoot on asphalt in August in Texas, and I didn't ever have any problem because I built up to it over the course of the summer. By the time we were at August temperatures, my feet were basically elephant. (laughs) But the issue is, can you keep the children safe? And that depends on whether or not they have built up the calluses from walking barefoot. If you, if a kid enrolls in your program and they've been wearing shoes, you know, they were at Kate's program before where they had to wear shoes to nap time. And then they came to my program and they were like, wait, I don't have to wear shoes. And they went to no shoes immediately, I'm going to say, you know, your feet are going to get sore. So why don't we instead 
say you take your shoes off at nap time (laughs) or you know when you're in the classroom and then after you've done that for a little while you can go out in the morning without your shoes and as your feet get used to not having to have shoes then you can wear you can be barefoot more because you have to keep their feet safe and that means they have to develop the calluses if they're not going to develop the calluses then they have to wear the shoes um but then that comes up to what kind of shoes <laughs> and we you know we've both had issues at centers about shoe choices uh <laughs> that the kids are wearing um so and my daughter was definitely a contributor um and so was yours we both had uh daughters that wanted to wear their white cowboy boots all the time uh-huh. and not all schools are okay with kids wearing cowboy boots for the same reason we talked about in the baby room <laughs> like they you don't have control over how much pressure you're putting on stuff or if you're stepping on your friend's feet so I think it's okay for you to have a rule saying no cowboy boots in the classroom. They can wear cowboy boots on the playground, but not in the classroom or no cowboy boots at all. Um, Okay, this is Texas. What? (laughs) I said, but our Texas people are not going to be okay with no cowboy boots. Yeah, I mean, it. you have to decide, is this a hill worth dying on? Or are you going to help kids think about, are you going to help kids figure out how to walk around in cowboy boots without stepping on their friend's feet? Okay, so as we progress with the kids and they get older, we have skills we want to make sure that they learn, like tying shoes. Um, We want to make sure that um, even when working with parents, that they understand that perhaps appropriate footwear is necessary for certain days, um, depending on the activities, field trips. Um, we've definitely had kids show up um, uh, during the summer and we're going on a field trip and the kids don't have the right footwear. Yeah, I think if you're going on a walking field trip, they need to be wearing sneakers. I think that, again, you can have those rules because I don't want cowboy boots on a field trip and I don't want flip-flops on a field trip. And I'm not going to negotiate whether the sandals you're wearing work. No, we're just going to do sneakers. <laughs> I mean, what's your take Yeah, on and then that? we have, you know, we have rainy weather clothes, you know, cold weather clothes, you know, it's, it might, uh, you know, parents not paying attention to the weather forecast. And so, or the kid forgets to put on shoes. And so they grab whatever shoes are in the van. And so you end up with flip flops instead of like boots. So the kid is cold and really shouldn't go outside. Sorry, or, I know, just got a vision. Um, so um, a friend of mine just became an instant grandma because um, her son married someone with sole custody of two children. And one of them is three and has no concern whatsoever about her shoes matching. And so he was like, one day we were going to the grocery store and she put on one Jack Sparrow boot and one glittery high heel. And she thought she was ready to go. And I would not leave (laughs) until she had two shoes that matched. And I was like, Nick, she was ready. She was willing to walk uncomfortably through the grocery store. And he was like, I am not ready to walk through the grocery store with a child with one glittery high heel and one Jack Sparrow shoe. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Well, I fi- I, fi- I figured he just wasn't watching the right Jack Sparrow movie. <laughs> she was definitely, there are definitely where that was, I am in movie mode. So, you know, just pick the right movie and um so yeah so uh, i've watched i've watched too many jack sparrow movies in the past few weeks so 
Um, anyway, so I want to wrap up. I want to make sure that we get a chance to finish this topic before we're done. So Carrie, talk to me about uh, staff shoes. Um, the staff probably don't have the same privilege necessarily of walking around all day, except for your infant teachers. Or do they? I mean, what you, you mentioned a little bit about the 20 pounds, but talk to me about that. Okay, so the Occupational OSHA, Occupational Safety and Health Administration, says that we as employers are required to provide a safe working environment for our staff. And what that means is going to be based on the accidents and injuries that happen and illnesses that happen in our workplace. So one of the most common injuries to people working in childcare is injuries to the foot and ankle because we lift and carry things that weigh over 20 pounds and we walk on uneven surfaces i.e. everything on the playground and everything in the infant room. So because of those two things, OSHA says that we should require our staff to wear closed-toed shoes with with ankle support. Um, They're not super clear on what that means, but it does not mean steel-toed shoes. (laughs) They are clear that you don't have to to require them to wear (laughs) steel-toed shoes. Um, that, That is good. But... So what are some of your favorite shoe suggestions for staff? Um, Again, not necessarily the infant staff, because you did give us some suggestions there. Um, I know I always encourage staff to have two pairs of shoes, the pair that they wore at school and then the pair they wore outside of school. Um, And a lot of that was just um, germs. Yep. You know, not taking things home. Um, However, not everybody works that way and not everybody can afford that. Um, so if, but if somebody wanted to do that, what would be, I know you mentioned Keds. Are there some other shoes for the toddlers and up that you have seen that are popular or that you have found to be the most, um, resilient or (laughs) successful? I mean, I think... For the most part, sneakers or loafers are your best friends. And, you know, when you're in your 20s, that can be kids because you don't need a whole lot of support. Um, but as you get older, you might need more of a, you know, Brooks or um, naturalizer kind of sneakers or, or um, loafers to protect your foot and to give you the support you need because your ankles are not as good at doing their work as they were when they were toddlers. Um, Great. And then we so- have the issue of, you know, staff members and I'm going to throw your, I'm going to, I'm going to throw Leticia under the bus here. Um, so early childhood educators who are under five foot tall, who do not appreciate the concept of just wearing sneakers. How low is the lowest heel you've ever seen on Leticia? Um, I mean, probably three and a half inches. Yeah. And she's an early childhood educator. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's more of a, yeah, she's a trainer and administrator now, but yes. Yeah. But, um, she- but yes, in that situation, you know, she always wears kind of more of a wedge or borderline platform kind of shoe. Um, and I think for her in reality, it would actually really probably be a health concern at, at this age to try to transition to flat shoes yeah. because even her house slippers are not flat. So Um, if the person has been wearing high heels since they were knee high to a grasshopper, convincing them to not wear shoes is going to be difficult to retrain their body if they wear heels all the time, but you can transition them into appropriate shoes for uneven surface and maybe dropping something that weighs 20 pounds or more on your foot. Well, I mean, I think about like the Merrells that I wear. I have a pair of, I have two pairs, brown and black. And I mean, they're both two inches tall. I mean, they, 
um, if somebody actually looked at them, they probably wouldn't have any clue they were as high as they were. Um, unless you're obviously looking at the back heel, but because I am lazy when it comes to my jeans and I hate to sew the, you know, three quarters of an inch of my jeans that are too long, (laughs) (laughs) I compensate by wearing shoes that are, you know, maybe an inch taller than I would normally actually wear. Um, so you know, we all have our own versions of um, what we're willing to do. Yeah. Um, and as long as so, you're protecting, you know, as long as they are safe and they can make it across the playground without twisting their ankle and their toes are protected, you are doing what you have to do as far as OSHA's concerned. Great. So it is kind of fun. I mean, you brought up some fun footwear. We're talking about barefoot um, day. And so if you are sitting here over the summer and you're struggling because you just have, you've got like one day and you haven't done anything really cool that day, you know, funny footwear. I mean, we have funny hat day, funny hair day, but you know what? Sometimes funny footwear just needs to be what they wear. And we all have had that toddler who has worn her princess heels to school. Uh, we've all had the firefighter who's worn his boots. Um, you know, we've all had the, the fall season child coming in and, and one or all of things they've worn to trick or treat. Yep. And so you have a, a variety of things that have shown up, but if you're doing themes, you know, if you're doing, Hawaiian luau's or you're doing beach party you know obviously that's a great place if you have kids who are even hesitant about taking off their shoes because I have met those kids Um, and sometimes I have actually found out it's because they're embarrassed by their shoes their socks or their feet so again as kids get older they start to notice other people's shoes and socks and toes and feet and smells Um, so if you have a school age program, you know, it is something to kind of be aware of if depending on, you know, the type of clientele that you have. And, um, so as you think about, and, and we're actually going to do an episode coming up on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so those, those current buzzwords and everything related to business, education, you name it, those are words you're going to hear. Um, things like clothing and footwear um it tells you an awful lot as a teacher and director about a family and their welfare and so uh, if you see kids that are really protective of some of that stuff that could be part of the reason so don't rule that out um and work very hard with your teachers that nothing is ever said that they may take as somebody poking fun well and the same is true for your staff you may have staff who have two pairs of shoes total and so the idea of having one for at the center and one for at home they're like Mm, no, I'm not doing that because they can't afford to. They have one pair of dress shoes and one pair of everyday shoes. So that can be an issue there as well. Absolutely. So yes, if you do have, um, it is something to think about. If you do have shoe requirements um, that you personally would like to have all of your staff wearing a certain type of shoe, um, you know, offering at least perhaps a payment plan through payroll deduction out of their paychecks. Um, if you want something special. Um, I've had restaurants where I worked at that they did that because they wanted us all to wear the same pair of black shoes. And it was it was much cheaper for them to buy them in bulk, you know, um, than me trying to go buy them myself. So, ooh, that was a long time ago. Okay, so... <laughs> okay, so... Terry, would you like to wrap this up? <laughs> have a great day. Spend some time barefoot if you can and you're comfortable. Um, part of the reason I wore loafers as a director is in my office, I would take my shoes off when nobody was looking. I give you permission right now that you can do that in your desk. (laughs) Um, And we'll see you next week. Uh, If you got value from this show, share it with another friend. Thank you for listening to Colorful Clipboards. 
Connect with us on social media at Colorful Clipboard or send us an email to hello at Colorful Clipboards. Send us your voicemail with your own questions and stories. If you want to keep learning with us, visit Texas Director, where we continue to have seminars, licensing, programs, and more. This show has been made by me, Carrie Casey, and Kate Young with assistance from Hallie Casey and Marie Young. If you learned something today, share the show.